Well, welcome. Once again, this is uh, WNZN Radio. It's out of Lorain, Ohio. Very happy that you tuned in today for another show. We've been having some interesting topics as well as guests in the past several months. So, uh, again, thank you for tuning in. Today, I'm here with my good friend and assistant, David Abood. Hey, John. Great to be here with you. Great to be here for another show. Yeah. Beautiful day. And I think this you might find this to be a very interesting show. We've actually have been asked by other venues and stations to go over this material again because a lot of people just don't realize what we're going to be talking about this morning, you know. And it's a very easy way to understand two belief systems or two religions that are rather popular in our day and age, David. And yeah. we're just going to look and compare. And that's going to be the amazing similarities between Islam and Mormonism. Yes. Now, somebody might think, how can there be any similarities between a religion that are separated by over a thousand years? Yeah. But surprisingly, there are a lot of similarities when we contrast the two of them. And the way I approach this, all of my, when I deal with different belief systems and worldviews and religions, philosophies, I try to analyze and not criticize. I just try to look at, you know, mm -hmm. their material, the history, the basic belief system they have, doctrines they might have. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. This is not meant to be critical, but we do want to be analytical in the sense of uh, what does Islam believe? What, how does that compare to Mormonism? And then we go to what does the Bible say as we go down to these different points, 10, 12. We could do upwards to 15 similarities. And again, a lot of people, when you, they hear this, they just say, I didn't, never knew this before. You mean, am I right when we yeah. did the show? Yeah. You know, it's um, I, I, you know, when you and I first did this show, I think it was a couple years ago. It really helped me because once you understand the culture, it helps you to be able to communicate your own faith. Right. And you also understand uh, areas that you really shouldn't touch on, or if you touch on them, uh, it helps you. Uh, figure out the best approach exactly. so you can talk about your own faith right and, and maybe get them interested in and in, you know the path you're on so, so this creates yeah. conversation right so one of the first things we see uh, when we study these two uh, belief systems is um, my goals for having this kind of show are, are in the future we're going to look at different beliefs and different religions that mm -hmm. people might be involved in number one it's an easy <clears throat> way to understand and remember these particular two religions, Islam and Mormonism. Number two, it, it, we examine the biblical basis of our Christian faith. Well, if they say that, what is our Christian faith mm -hmm. providing for us? Mm -hmm. And it provides information to initiate dialogue with right. people of other worldviews, like you just said. Right. David. Yeah. So these things are all in play here as we go through this study. Now, for us, of course, the key is, is, is the Bible. Um, it says... Even when the great apostle Paul preached in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, after Paul preached, the people there in Berea, it says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word which Paul preached with all readiness of mind, and yet they searched the scriptures daily whether to see those things were true. So they used the Bible, the scripture, as a plumb line. Right. Like a builder might use a plumb line to see if you're going a little bit off here, a little bit off there. And that will always be our hmm, our source of authority. So let's start by looking at the comparison Islam and Mormonism mm -hmm. compared. Number one today, there's a there's approximately 7.4 billion people in the world today. About 7.4 billion people in the world today. 1.5 billion of those claim to be Muslim. 
Now, they could be two major groups there is Sunni and Shiite Muslim. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. And there's approximately 12 million Mormons worldwide. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of an easy way to remember it. Right. And there's 1,200 years separate the founding of Islam, uh, which was approximately 620 A.D., uh, 620 years after the birth, the birth of our Lord, and then the founding of Mormonism, which is approximately 1820 yeah. A.D. So you yeah. see that span of 1,200 years. But we're going to look, as I said, uh, to some of the similarities and how do these start. Okay, so let's do just a little bit of background. Let's start with Muhammad. Now, Muhammad is a young man born and raised in Saudi Arabia uh, who was orphaned and uh, raised much of the time by his uncle, but he was going to marry an elderly woman who was a very successful merchant. Uh, her name was Khadija. And um, she had, like I said, a successful merchant. Now, you remember that part of the world, Saudi Arabia, you had all kinds of caravans oh, yeah. coming back and right. forth through there. You're from Lebanon, you're yeah. from Syria, Lebanon. Syria. And so they're going <laughs> up from there into Egypt and yeah. back up into you know, Iraq, present-day mm -hmm. Iraq and Iraq. So he was familiar with the trade routes, and, of course, he was meeting uh, not just other merchants but other belief systems, Judaism, Christianity, Zoroastrianism, uh, animistic belief systems. So that was his background. And what happens, In uh, he's born in the year 570 A.D., but on his 40th birthday, uh, not his birthday, but he's 40 years old at the time, he is given to going out and meditating in the fields. He's, he's not satisfied with the religion of his day, which was very idolatrous, very superstitious. And so he's in this cave in Saudi Arabia, in Mecca, and he encounters what he says is an angel. He will say it's the angel Gabriel, Jibril. And the angel starts speaking to him and wants him to record the message. Now, initially, Muhammad is terrified at this time. He's a 40-year-old young guy, and he's getting these messages. He says, I'm being visited by this angel. But out of this will come what will later be put into a book form, which would be the Quran. And they believe that the Quran almost essentially came down from heaven. It's yeah. just like heaven sent, inspired by the word of God, and that Muhammad is a prophet. He's a, he, he believes in Islam that he is a long chain of prophets, starting with Adam and Noah and Moses and David and John the Baptist and Jesus. But they will say Muhammad is the final, or what they call the seal of the prophets. And he's going to bring this new revelation that's a truth from God, that there's a new belief system. Right. You must not be yeah. worshiping idols. There's one God named mm -hmm. Allah. And they recite this prayer. It's called the Shahada. It just means when you become a Muslim, you say, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, or the seal of his prophets. And then you become... So that's the start. Now, this is very similar to Joseph Smith. Now, Joseph yeah. Smith is born and raised in upstate New York. <clears throat> and as a young man, he's a farmer. And his father and him are both given, to, they like to go out in the fields and search for Indian treasure, what ah. they call buried treasure. And yeah. they use different <laughs> means to do this. Right. But they, they really are into this kind of uh, searching for treasure. And uh, these they're also very dissatisfied with the religions of their day. They, they, you know, it's all up and down the New England coast and there's been revivals and then churches are growing up, uh, um, Presbyterian and Baptist and others. And, but they, he doesn't really want to have anything to do with them. Like Muhammad, he thinks the system, the belief system of his day is, is corrupted and gone astray. 
he will also have an encounter with an angel. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now here's the key. Uh, angel Gabriel appears to Muhammad approximately 630 A.D. in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. Right. The angel <clears throat> who Joseph Smith will call Moroni visits Joseph Smith in 1823. This is very, very important yeah. when we understand these two belief systems that will later become religions. Right. I mean, seriously, uh, with serious followers behind them, is the angelic visitation. Uh, now, why this is so important is because the Bible... Yes. Uh, warns us about these. Uh, here's what Paul says. Maybe you can read it, David, if you have it. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. There's actually several warnings in the scripture uh, right. about them. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Galatians 1, uh, verse 8. Galatians. Oh, yeah. 1. Galatians 1, verse 8. Okay. Let's see. But even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So he says, if we, Paul saying, even if we, yeah. Paul and his missionary friends, Timothy and these guys, or an angel from heaven, notice that, an angel from heaven, a spirit being, preaches another gospel. Uh, he, he's warning these people that, because... Mm -hmm of the potential possibility of this. This is 2,000 years ago when the New Testament is being written. And this is the exact thing, uh, what is happening yeah. with Joseph Smith and Muhammad, where they claim an angelic visitation. You see? Right. And th there's this warning uh, in the scripture as we study the scriptures about the potential of um, this angel uh, visitation. You'll see it again if you read. Uh, well, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for a moment. What I'm doing is trying to show you Islam. Second Corinthians. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. Now this is where Paul is warning the people, his, the believers of his day, the Christians of his day, of um, what they were getting involved with if they go, if they go away from the gospel. And okay. he says, um, <clears throat> so um, look at verse 11. Chapter, well, Second Corinthians chapter 11. Maybe look at verses one through three. Okay, Two, all right, if you have it, go ahead, John. Okay. Oh, that you would bear with me a little, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, this, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, which we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which we have not received, or a different gospel that we have not, you might accept it. See, so he's saying, um, just remember the serpent came to eat, yeah, his, right. you know, yeah. this mm -hmm. fallen angel, mm -hmm. which really is, is what the devil was, and he's warning them. And then he will go on to say, if you're in that same chapter, um, look at verse 13 um, through 14. For such people are false, false apostles, deceitful, workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So, there it is. you see this idea yeah. of an angel coming. Oh, yeah. with a, now, we're going to look at this. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, I'm trying to be more analytical than critical. But the idea that way back in the early church, there was warnings of a spirit beings that could come and misdirect people, right. mislead people. Yeah with a different Jesus, mm -hmm. 
a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit, and a different gospel. That is to say, the means of salvation. And so here we, as we launch in, I mean, we're 12 minutes into this interview, but the sense of it, if you understand how things begin, you yeah. can understand how things end up. Right. If you follow my reasoning here. Yeah. And so this is critical. And now we go into this and um, we're going to see this is where things are going to get a little interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, now, what, what Muhammad will do is when he gets these revelations, they start writing them down. They'll have two major books. One is the Quran, uh -huh. and the other is going to be the surahs, or where we get the <clears throat> traditions, uh, right. like it's uh, the life of Muhammad and more. Whereas the Quran is more about uh, behavior and doctrine and what right. it means to be a Muslim. Uh -huh. He will draw heavily from the Bible, but he will then say the Bible's been corrupted. It was true the way God originally gave the Bible, he will say, but it's been corrupted over time. But the Quran is pure. And it's directly from God, so to speak. And it's not, it contains no error. Therefore, um, it's very similar to Joseph Smith. Yeah, now, what Joseph Smith does when he gets these messages mm -hmm. uh, from the angel, he starts writing them. Now, the process of him writing it is very interesting, David, because he says the angel gives him what he calls golden plates uh, with this writing on it. Almost like he needs a decoder. To, nobody knows where these golden plates are today. But he, he goes home and he has what he calls as an amber stone, this <clears throat> clear stone he puts yeah. by his eyes. And he looks down at these golden plates. He puts them in a hat. like it's sort of, He's shrouded when he does it. And he starts decoding what's written on the golden plates. And that is going to become the Book of Mormon. Right. So it's very it, troubling. But both of these have similarities. And now here's the thing. They both will draw heavily from the Bible. Mm -hmm. But then they'll say the Bible is corrupted, but what their their book, the Quran or the Book of Mormon, is true without right. error. So d just to be clear for the listeners too, so the Mormons they worship uh, Elohim or Heavenly Father as the God of this world. He was a man. He attained uh, deity. Right. We'll his, get to uh, that. Uh, right. right. Okay. Yeah. And then the, they also believe there's. More, more than one God in yeah, many we'll get, worlds. Yeah. Okay. When I, when I said but a the, different but, Jesus, right. a different spirit, a different... We'll get to each okay. other. What Good. I'm trying to all do right. here is just layer in, okay, how did it all start? How did it, it all starts start? With them, right. How do they establish their mm -hmm. holy book? Well, they get the message from these angels, Gabriel supposedly, right. and Moroni, but they're going to both draw from our Bible for yeah. their text. Yeah. But after their text is completed, the Quran mm -hmm. and the Book of Mormon, they will say the Bible has been corrupted and it's not reliable, which is interesting. Uh, now, therefore, mm -hmm. we go to the next step in this process. And that, So what is their sacred book? We basically have the Bible. We have one book, okay? We have 66 right. books contained yeah. here. Mm -hmm. Now, Mormons will have essentially three, four sometimes depending. They have the Book of Mormon, they have doctrines and covenants. That's where they're going to get a lot of their instructions. Right. They're going to have the Pearl of Great Price, which has more advice. And then they have the Book of Abraham, which we may talk a little about. So they have four. And they they have the Bible, their, their Bible, which is translated from our Bible. Islam will have the Quran, but then they have what's called the Hadiths, which is the book. So they have different groupings, collection of holy books. Whereas Now, this is important, David, because... All the revelation, the whole thing that the, these two religions stand on is these two men yeah. getting it right. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? And the visitation, right? And yeah. the visitation. Right. Yeah. Whereas the Bible, uh-huh. it's there's 40 men over a period of over yeah. almost 2,000 years. 2,000 years, right. That mm-hmm. is is the Gospel of Mark doesn't right. sync up with the Gospel of Luke. Doesn't That's a good sync point. Up. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. their one guy has got to get it right because he is yeah. the sole source of the revelation. And they use the both of these revelations take approximately 20 years from when they mm-hmm. get the first visit from an angel to the completion. 20, 25 right. years for Islam. Yeah. 20 to 25 years uh, for Mormonism. They have ongoing revelation. We're going to see that in a minute. But the, the crucial thing here is, again, uh, these are the singular receivers of revelation. Whereas you look at the Bible, you've got Moses, you're going to have David, you're going to have the writers of the New Testament, you're going to have the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah. It's not dependent right. on one man getting excellent, it right. Excellent point. So yeah. that's an important thing. And the theme is always consistent with the Bible. That is, yeah. say there's one God. He's separated from man. Well, John, I guess the question is, and I never understood the answer to this. So Muhammad, you know, I, how did he get the support to even get the book written and to start? I mean, if he was alone, you know, like you said, there was 40 people that, you know. No, it's a good the, question. I mean, how, how did that come to pl- to No, fruition? it's a very good yeah. question. When he goes home initially with this first revelation, you right. can read it. It's in there, oh, Doctor. Yeah. He is terrified. He is terrified. And his, mm-hmm. his wife reassures him that he, he is hearing from God. And, right. and his uncle, um, who has some exposure to Christianity, he, he will say, um, you, go back. You might indeed be a prophet of God. So she's got money. I mean, she's, she's a wealthy merchant mm-hmm. woman. She, she's older than him, significantly older than him. So they have the initial backing, and he starts preaching. What what uh, and, he, and initially he doesn't get a very big audience. Yeah. And matter of fact, he has to escape from there and go from Mecca up to Medina, which is in northern Saudi Arabia. It will be up there. He starts getting more respondents to the message. He'll come back eventually mm-hmm. to Saudi Arabia to Mecca, right. and that's when he will establish himself. Mm-hmm. And of course, all along the way, one of the ways that they generate money as people support it and they did it is in their history of of raiding caravans and, right. and going on these right. kind of things uh-huh. where you know they take uh, after they defeat uh-huh. an enemy they have the 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 loot they have you know whatever benefits financially they have so right. it's starting to generate some momentum same thing with <clears throat> joseph smith initially very few people received the message but he does get a couple investors fellow farmers one guy like oh, literally sure. sells the farm, so to speak. Okay. He gets, and so he starts then, by the time he has mm-hmm. to leave New York, he actually settles not that far from Cleveland, Ohio, out in Kirtland, Ohio. You can still take tours of the early settlement of Mormonism right. to this yeah. day. <laughs> and that's that's how they get going, really. Got it. Okay. All right, good. So now, um, I think this is very important about the Holy Text because the Bible has to be accurate in a theme and in... in uh, historically, is it proven archaeologically? When they say that, you know, mm-hmm. like Pontius Pilate was the head in Jerusalem at mm-hmm. this particular time, does history bear that out? Well, we're going to see there's some things that aren't always bore out, particularly in, right. in, in Mormonism with their historical accuracy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's go down and we'll drop down to this next thing. Okay, here's the Mormon view of the Bible. I mentioned that they thought it was corrupt. It says here, Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 327. I believe the Bible as it is read when it came from the pen of the original writers. Ignorant translators, careless transcribers, or designing and corrupt priests have committed many errors. 
See, so he says yeah, the okay. Bible in the original was true, but now it's not. It's corrupted. As a matter of fact, I'll read what he says in the opening book. I have the Book of Mormon here. Yeah. The opening page will say this. Um, um, it says, uh, wherefore the abridgment, okay, written by way of commandment and also by the spirit of prophecy, written and sealed up and hid up unto the Lord that they might not be destroyed, to come forth by the gift of the power of God. And then he will go on to say, it is now, it is now, if there were faults, there are mistakes of men, therefore condemn not the things, essentially saying that this is the most accurate revelation God has ever given, what we hold right here mm. in the Book of Mormon. Muhammad will say this. This is in the Quran. Surah is the way they call a chapter. Surah. I just that's how they refer to a chapter in uh -huh. the Quran. The Jews called Isar the son of Allah, and the Christians called Christ the son of Allah. That is saying from their mouth. In this they but imitate what the unbelievers of old used to say. Allah's curse be upon them, how they have deluded away from the truth. Again, that's Surah 9 verse 30 in the uh, in the Quran. So here again they're saying the Bible is true in its original but it's been corrupted. And but our book the Quran or the yeah. Book of Mormon <laughs> is, is, is accurate and true from God. And funny again, interesting theme there. Yeah, right? it's just yeah. what these these mm -hmm. similarities pop up and uh, and uh, now this is very very important and that is to say the person of Jesus Christ. As Paul warned earlier in Galatians, if a different teacher comes or somebody claims to be a prophet and has a different Jesus, they preach a different Jesus. Because all many, many religions preach a Jesus. Yeah. We're going to see in the weeks to come, Jehovah Witness and Mormon or Islam, New Age. They all have a Jesus in their belief system. But what Jesus? And that's why it, it says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus looks at his followers and he says, "Who do you say that? Who do you say that I am?" Right. That's in Matthew chapter sixteen. Who do you, I think it's maybe the most important question ever asked on this planet. Who is Jesus Christ? And of course, what what I think you may have brought this out earlier mm -hmm. that in Mormonism, Jesus is the offspring of relations between God and His earthly wife. Jesus is created being, not eternal. Right. And was married with several wives. So right away yeah. we're seeing this is a different Jesus from the Jesus that's presented in the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a doctrine in Mormonism that says, as, as, as God is, man once was, and that man can become a God. See, you have this kind of a thing going on. Right. And so Jesus was an offspring of Heavenly Father and an earthly wife. We'll see this later when they get into more of this person of Jesus Christ. It's very different from what's presented clearly in the Bible about the person of, of Jesus Christ. They will then go on to say, um, let me go up the, in Islam. Islam, Jesus is a revered as a great and holy prophet, a miracle worker, born of a virgin, not the son of God, and not crucified or resurrected from the dead. You see how important that is. Oh, I mean, yeah. that, that's the very basic. Right. Um, uh, matter of fact, I could read from the Quran. I have actually the Quran in yeah, front of me. Yeah, you do. Uh -huh. um, let me look here at chapter 5. And uh, I like to refer to their books, their, you know, the Book of Mormon, or um, so that I don't, uh, you know, kind of go astray and people go, well, where did you find that and how did you get that? So we're going to be looking uh, right from the scripture. Uh, it says here, this is in the Quran, uh, Surah 5, uh, 50, 
6, 57. Believers do not seek friendship of the infidels, those who were given the book before you, who have made of your religion a jest and a diversion, have fear of God. Um, then it will go on to say, unbelievers are those who say God is the Messiah, the son of Mary. That's clearly Jesus. For the, my, the Messiah himself, children of Israel, serve God, my Lord and your Lord. He that worship others' deities besides God, God will deny him paradise. Um, again, uh, this is in Surah chapter 5 again. It says, unbelievers are those who say God is one of three. There is but one God. If they do not desist from so saying. So again, the Trinity. So all of yeah. these basic uh, doctrines of the Christian are negated or spoken against in the, in the book of Quran. Uh, again, I'm in Surah 5. Chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 75. The Messiah, the son of Mary, was no more than an apostle. Other apostles passed away before him. His mother right. was a saintly woman. They both ate early food. In other words, he is not the son of God. Right. He is not God made flesh. Mm -hmm. And again, that's coming from their text. Uh, if anybody was listening and would like to investigate, I think it is good to be aware of what other Absolutely. belief systems believe. Yeah. Now, of course, the biblical Jesus is very clear in John chapter 1, it will say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So we see clearly oh, yeah. the Bible, the New <clears throat> Testament presents Jesus as God come in the flesh. Mm -hmm. That's what we call Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation. Jesus forgives sins. Only God forgives sins. In Matthew 13, Jesus says he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, God made the Sabbath. How can Jesus, if he's not God, be called? Jesus says, I'm coming back in clouds of glory to judge the earth. That comes from Daniel chapter 7. Well, that's ascribing himself to be God. Jesus says, "I, me and the Father are one. Uh, Jesus claims to be the Alpha and the Omega in Revelation chapter 1. All of these things are ascribed to Jesus that are ascribed to God. So either he is lying right. or he's really deceived yeah. or he is what the Bible says. He's God come in the flesh. Right. And both Mormonism and Islam are going to deny that, that he's eternal. He's the eternal God. No beginning, no end. He manifests himself when he comes to earth and takes upon himself human flesh and lives on this planet. For 33 years. So this is a like very, very important that's, that's point. That's a key difference. And we boy, do we need to understand that when we talk to them. Have yeah, to know it. And right. we as Christians have uh -huh. to know how we can better explain. Right. If somebody says, well, where does Jesus say he's God? Sometimes people say, did Jesus ever say, I am God? Well, what people don't understand <clears throat> is that what Jesus, the titles he's ascribing himself, when he calls himself the son of God, uh -huh. when he calls himself the I am before Abraham was I am. Right. Those are titles of God. You see, uh, so all of these things, as we study the scripture, we should be more equipped as Christians to know how to better explain it. You know, in John, we interviewed um, one missionary that mm -hmm. was uh, actually um, from the Middle East and was talking about Islam and some of the ways that she would get through to, uh, you know, people that were curious about her faith. Um, you know, when you when you look at the Muslim side, I mean, the, the, isn't there God? Allah is kind of impersonable, impersonal, unknowable, and untouchable. You know, versus our God, 
where, you know, he's loving. You know, we believe he sent his son to die for us to redeem us of our sins. And we can have a relationship with him. But it's hard because they don't believe that the son of God was crucified or resurrected. Right. So that portion of the story to convince them that God is a loving God. How do we get by that when we're talking to him? That's a good point. Actually, several points you bring up. Number one, the 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 God of uh, Allah, okay, of the Quran, mm-hmm. is what's called very trans. <coughs> pardon me, transcendent, yeah. which means he's remote. He's out there. He yeah. doesn't really come down. Mm-hmm. He comes down with a messenger, let's say an angel, but not himself. Yeah, uh, that's okay. When he yeah. comes down in theology, that's called imminent. Right. That means he's right here with us. Okay. When it says, like in Genesis chapter 3, God walked in the cool of the day and he's searching for Adam. Adam, where art thou? See, he's not, Solomon says the heavens Very of personable. heavens. Very personable. Like yeah. We can connect to him, he even though down. he's the God of creation. Yeah. He comes down. Right. And he has conversation. Uh-huh. He established a covenant with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, mm-hmm. Jacob. And then he appears to Moses in the burning bush. He says he's speaking out of the flames of the burning bush when he encounters Moses in the desert. Right. And then when he gets his people out of Egypt through the shed blood of the lamb, mm-hmm. the Passover lamb, yeah. after 400 years of slavery, then God says, make me a tabernacle or a tent. I'm going to dwell with you. Imminent. You see, coming close down. And so when Jesus comes, it says the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. To your point, David, the God of the Bible revealed in the Old and New Testament is a God that's just not way out there. No. He is beyond space and time, don't right. get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But he enters in. Right. He comes close and he feels it. He, you know, the expression, I feel your pain. Well, he literally felt our pain. Right. You know, he was abandoned. Mm-hmm. He was wrongly accused. Mm-hmm. He was betrayed. He was spat upon. He was judged guilty. He was nails driven to his hands and feet, crowned with thorns. Um, you know incredible suffering absolutely yeah uh, but he identified with us in a very real way yes but again that is denied in the quran where it says do not say he was crucified for it only appeared that he was crucified and and so th- that that's what they're alluding to when they say that the bible is incorrect it was transcribed incorrectly exactly yeah it's false false teaching yeah so they okay. would say it, it's not it's not uh yeah and, and then again, I brought this up before. So the Mormons believe there's there's uh, are many gods in many worlds, and that men themselves may become gods one day, right? right? And even have so, a that's completely different then. Completely, yeah, And that goes right. into the thing. We're children of God, right? And we're created in the image of God, but but that that's not our belief system at no, all. No, the, yeah. the the gap between us and God right. is very it's still great, even when we're we're born again, even uh-huh. when we're child right. of God. So, but there's only one Son of God, yeah. you know, the, the eternal Godhead, you know, the eternal um, Son of God is Jesus Christ. He's on the throne. Yeah. We're never going to be on a throne. I yeah, mean, and then worship. also in the Godhead, the other, I think, significant difference is, is God exists eternally as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Isaiah 43, 10, mm-hmm. uh, you know, also in Matthew 28, 19. And, and, and that's obviously a significant difference. Uh, there is there as well. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, and so it's hard to uh, reconcile the yeah. two. See, the differences so are clear. It's very clear, <laughs> which is I good mean, in some, some ways. Yeah, and the other thing yeah. about both Islam and Mormonism is their 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 revelation 
can be hmm. changed or which call abrogation. You can change uh, your revelation as you go on. Right. And uh, we see this with Islam. There was a famous book written by uh, Salman Rushdie many years ago called Satanic Verses. But he was shown in the Quran where it's referencing what was called the three daughters of Satan. But later, Muhammad was saying, I got that by bad revelation. It's wrong, mm. you know, and it's in their text. And anyhow, but it's the same thing you're going to see happening in uh, Mormonism because um, here's what it says in Islam concerning how to change the scripture. Uh -huh. It says, none of our revelations do we change or abrogate or cause to be forgotten, but we substitute something better or similar. Knowest thou not Allah hath power over all things? So they have built in this idea that you can change the scripture as, we, as it goes along. We can't change our scripture. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The Bible is, as a matter of fact, says don't add to Scripture, don't take away from the Scripture. We see a similar thing happening uh, in uh, Mormonism where they have capacity to change. We're going to get into this in a minute. There, Polygamy was very big yeah. in early Mormonism, as right. it was in right. uh, uh -huh. Islam. We'll get to this in a minute. But it was in their text. It was in their Holy Scriptures, the Mormon Scriptures. It was practiced by their founder, Joseph mm -hmm. Smith, by his successor, Brigham Young. But in 1890, uh, see, Utah, where the Mormons finally settled, became very much a Mormon state, mm -hmm. by and large. They wanted to become a state. It was, it, was not, it was a territory at that time. But the federal government would not accept polygamy. So they said their sitting prophet, Mormons believed that Every generation, or they continually have what's called a prophet. He's right. like the president or like the pope, if you mm -hmm. will. He gets a revelation that says that we can no longer have polygamy. And then they can become a state. You understand? Although polygamy is still practiced in different pockets of Mormonism. But the, the fact is they can change the original scripture, the uh -huh. admonition by their founder to be polygamous, men mm -hmm. can have many wives. And now they're saying no. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't, and they Utah would then become a state. Same thing happened when Joseph Smith originally founded um, Mormonism. They were not allowing black people to be admitted to the priesthood. And this was continuous because they're real big in the priesthood. We'll talk about that in a minute. Until 1978. Now, this was part of the civil rights movement and everything else, and Brigham Young was becoming a college and starting to play yeah. NCAA basketball and football. And then they said the uh, prophet, the president of that time of the Mormon church, got a revelation, mm. and now that that would no longer be the prohibition, blacks were freely admitted into the priesthood of the Mormon faith. Do you see how they can yes. change things right. like that? Uh -huh. Which we can't. Our, our no. canon, or what we call our books, are fixed. We don't need another revelation. We have 66 books. It, there's a starting point in Genesis, and it, there's a clear ending point in the book of Revelation. And so we can't go in and say, oh, let's change this, or let's make this more accepted oh, yeah. to our culture yeah. today. You can't do that. No. Uh, they could. So again, those are, those are differences. Matter of fact, it'll say in uh, our Bible, in Revelation twenty two eighteen, it says, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. But if any man takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, Bible, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So we, we can't tamper with this and say, boy, if we got rid of that law or that commandment or that, they make it easier for people to believe. We can't. It's fixed. You see? Yeah. Know? 
we just can't do it. Right. Okay. Now that brings us to the next thing I just touched on. Right. Is this idea of polygamy? Polygamy was a big issue in early Mormonism. Oh yeah. Um, you could have many wives as well. This is you can go to Mormon websites even to this day. Well, you'll find out that Joseph Smith himself had over 20 wives. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. Some of these wives were not legally divorced from their husband, but he would say he received a revelation from God that he should take this woman to be his wife. This really was problematic. I mean, it led to a lot of problems, to say the least. And, of course, his successor, Brigham Young, would also have many, um, many wives, um, maybe up to 27 to 50 wives we're really not sure and maybe 57 children offspring from these relationships joseph smith had approximately 33 wives like i said several were not legally divorced from their first husband when they married him but again he's the prophet he's saying i hear from god and we can do this and then of course muhammad we know um, yeah the same idea that, yeah, yeah maybe you have, have stats on that now it, it well i i wrote down that many uh, may marry more than one woman, but no more than four. I wonder if I have that wrong. Right, that, that's uh, coming out of okay. the. Okay, uh, all right. Sort of. As long as they can support them and treat them fairly, divorce. Um, uh, I don't think uh, they're allowed to divorce. Well, the, yeah. the the thing is, is that they can have uh, you know multiple right. wives. It's still right. accepted to yeah. this day. It's not a problem. Uh, Basically, if you can take care of the woman. Right. Yeah, uh, that's what I was saying. Right. It says, uh, let me read. It's actually in sort of yeah. chapter four, verse three. Um, it says, do not exchange the valuables for worthless things or cheat them from their possessions. These are when you take captives, okay, or orphans. For this would surely be a grievous sin. If you fear that you cannot treat orphans with fairness, then you may marry other women who seem good to you, two, three, or four of them. But if you are afraid that you cannot maintain or support equality among them, marry only one or any slave girls that you might own. This will make it easier for you to avoid injustice. So we see this principle yeah. is there. Uh, yeah. Now, um, Muhammad had approximately 23 wives. The youngest was Aisha, and it's in their own books of tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a very little young girl, nine years old, when he got married to her. Uh, and again, as you said, the Quran, I just read it from the Quran, have permission to read two, three, four wives uh, if you can take care of them properly. Mm. And this is not uncommon in different parts of the world today. Now, uh, when you come to the Bible, what does the Bible say about polygamy? Well, it will clearly say in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, a bishop, talking about a spiritual leader of the church, must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, <clears throat> temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. These are like the requirements, okay? Same thing with an elder or a deacon. It says in, right. uh, they, uh, again, the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their houses, you know, firmly. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Jesus answered, said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, this is Genesis, he's taking a bag, made them male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then that they are no longer two, 
but right. one. See, yeah. two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So it's very much right from the very beginning, mm -hmm. God's plan yeah. was one man, one woman, one lifetime. And we can't break that. And when you study in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. where let's say Solomon took many wives and concubines, that led to a disaster, a judgment upon Israel. David, when he took Bathsheba, you know, as, mm -hmm. a, as a wife. Yeah. Uh, Abraham, when That's he took right. Hagar. These, these are all problematic. It's not God's plan. Right. But it actually was written in to their code and the, and the lives of the founders of these faiths, Joseph Smith, Muhammad. And so when you, we line these up and compare them, you see there's really essential differences between these. Oh, really clear long. differences, yeah. Um, huh. Now, you may have something you want to touch on there, David, but then it comes to the whole issue of paradise or afterlife. And I remember you mentioned earlier that the belief is that, let's say for Mormons, that you marry here, those marriages are going to continue in your afterlife. Marriage, they have what's called celestial marriages, right. and, and you're going to have many offspring, perhaps in the, even in, when you go to heaven, what they call heaven. Um, and therefore, when you get married here, that marriage may even continue in heaven. The thing about um, Islam is they believe uh, paradise is very sensual. There's very many verses in the Quran which talks about uh, there'll be maidens uh, beautiful as rubies in gardens mm -hmm. of delight. Um, uh, you know, all of this kind of carnal, if you will, maidens for men that make it to paradise. You know, it's going to be this kind of celestial, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, just incredible paradise that's very centralized. Right, yeah. But that's, that's not the case with Christianity because yeah. Jesus would clearly say, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels of God in heaven. They don't procreate. There's no, we're different, you see. That's very different from the afterlife scenario in Mormonism, the afterlife in uh, Islam, which is highly sensualized, and it discusses some kind of this kind of behavior. Yeah, and the other thing I wrote down with life after death, Christianity, eternity in heaven or hell, um, you know, depending on, you know, if you're a follower of Christ or not. But with Islam, I wrote down all beings created with a reason will be accountable to God on the day of judgment. But here's the difference. They will be rewarded for every Adam's weight of good and either forgiven or punished for evil deeds. So for us, the only way we're even able to get into heaven is Jesus coming down, dying for our sins and redeeming us. And for here, this is the point system we always talk yeah, about, right. where we say that's no way you're able to get into heaven uh, in our belief system as Christians. It has nothing to do with what good and bad things per se that we do. It's not like you put one coin in here right. and one coin, right? So I, I, I thought that was a key difference, at least for my myself to, to look yeah, at. They believe uh, it's um, almost like a scale. Yeah, Your good exactly. deeds are here, your bad deeds are here. What, what determines outcome or your future and, destiny. And, and that's such a hard way to live because, you know, it's a lot easier now knowing that everything I've done in the past has been forgiven right. as a follower. I'm not saying I can, you know, redo all those things and, you know, feel good about it. But the burden is off because Jesus came down, died for our sins, redeemed us, and his blood washed us of our sins, cleansed us. Yeah, And, right. and that's what makes the following of Christ 
uh, a wonderful enterprise, and it'll and that's really what we convey when we're trying to look to create disciples. Yeah, that's the loving God that I'm not sure I see in the other religions in terms of you can touch God, you know, you can talk to Him right. directly. He's not untouchable, right. even though He's immensely perfect and great. Right. Um. And 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 that's that's another big difference. Yeah, right. I mean, the Bible clearly says, John 3, 16, For God yeah. so loved the world that right. he gave, mm-hmm. it's a gift, his only begotten Son, whoever believes upon him, that means receive, to as many as received him. Right. It, we, there's none of us can do enough good works that we're going to be righteous in the, in the presence mm-hmm. of an all-holy God. So it's the same thing in Mormonism. They are really work-based. And, so, and you've got to be a member of the, the Mormon church. You've got to mm-hmm. be... Uh, properly baptized. If you're going right. to get, you know, grow in the church, you're going to. They have all kinds of these priesthood uh, ceremonies where you're initiated into different kinds yeah. of things. You have to do a certain amount of tithing. You have certain responsibilities. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So to your point, David, it's not so much as a father-child relationship as much as it's a master-servant. You know, what must right. I do? And of course, Islam. The word. Many people think the word Islam means peace but it doesn't it means submission it means to be under that authority what must i do i must pray five times a day in the direction of uh, mecca i must uh, give x amount of alms i must try to make the pilgrimage to the hajj to you know saudi uh, uh saudi arabia to mecca all of these kinds of things uh are built in it's very similar in mormonism whereas we, we serve God because we love God. We, we address him, our Father who art in heaven, not right. our Master. Does that make sense? You know, yeah. So it, it, you don't have that sense mm-hmm. of foreboding. Did I do enough good deeds today? Did I do enough? Right. You know, so very, very different. And that moves us to this. Uh, we're just moving along. Now, both of these are very strong in terms of spreading their faith. In the missions of uh, Mormonism, most young men in the Mormon faith when they reach about 18, 19, 20 years old, will do two years of missionary service. Right. They'll either do it stateside or overseas. Mm-hmm. When I was in Thailand, we used to see them because they all yeah. look pretty much alike. They wear a white shirt. <laughs> yeah. They got a name tag, right. their name. Right. And they ride bicycles. Yeah. They didn't ride, at least the ones I knew didn't ride motorcycles. They yeah. go door to door and they're trying to, you know, kind of introduce you to the Mormon beliefs. Same thing with Islam. It's, it's very keen on spreading their message. You see what's happening in universities today in America and other places where they want inroads to put a mosque or a prayer room or a prayer chapel. I'm just saying they're both very um, missional, missionary minded, want to expand it. And of course, we are too in the sense that um, uh, Jesus told us, I mean, go therefore to make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I commend you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end. So we are too, but I just want us to be conscious of the fact. Islam and Mormonism are a very expansion. They want to get their message around the world. Uh, now, how they do that is different ways. Mm-hmm. But uh, like I said, uh, even somebody like uh, Mitt Romney, when he was a, when he was a, a young man, I think mm-hmm. he served in uh, France as a Mormon missionary for two years. He makes it known. Yeah. And his sons served. A lot of times the women, the young women, will stay in the States yeah. to do their missionary uh, activity. But that's a very consistent kind of a thing. Right. And they are growing. Uh, these they are, are growing, growing. religion. Yeah. Now, oftentimes, though, Islam, one of its main growth components is not necessarily conversion as much as birth. 
the, the amount of children born into a Muslim household, uh, it could be upwards to 5.3 children per household, you know, and whereas now in America and in England and other places, by and large, Caucasian birth rate, Christian or non-Christian, is barely at uh, oh, yeah. survival, you yeah. know, to keep the birth rates very right. flat line. Right. So a lot of the growth, and so too, even in Mormon religion, they're, they're, they tend to be rather large families because they put a, which is a good thing, they put a big emphasis on family and family relationship. But when you look at statistics, you have to kind of delve into it and try to figure out where these growth oh, yeah. numbers are coming from. Oh, yeah. So um, then we move on and we see the role of each of these men, Muhammad, and they... They declare themselves to be prophets and apostles. Mm. The prophet, they hear from God, and they give God's message. But they also have many more titles. Uh, they're called a prophet of God. They're, vo they're both viewed as statesmen. They're, they're political leaders. They're military leaders. People don't realize this, that Joseph Smith had a standing army when he was in Missouri at one time. And, of course, Muhammad, if you study early uh, Islamic history, uh, had a significant um, military force. That he could go up against caravans or into other towns and uh, he is called the prophet of the sword for a reason you know both will be judges they will judge cases amongst their people if there's disputes they're both called apostles um, you know this idea that they're they're sent to warn people that here's a, this is actually from an advertisement a brochure of a Muslim Islamic cultural center in London and here's some of the titles they gave to Muhammad He's an orphan child, he was orphaned, trustworthy youth, a righteous husband, a loving father, seeker of truth, receiver of divine revelation, a patient warner, he warns people against idolatry, a courageous leader, he's going to lead people on these military exploits, a noble statement, the last messenger of Allah. They think he's the very last messenger or prophet of Allah. Both of them, these men will claim they're prophesied or predicted in the Bible. It's just, it's just, you can't find them there. I mean, yeah, Muhammad, I mean, they'll look to that famous verse in Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15, where God promises Moses he's going to send a prophet like Moses, and the people must listen to that person or they're going to be judged heavily. Well, number one, he's got to be Jewish because he's coming from among the brethren of Moses. Number two, Moses did miracles. Muhammad never claimed to do a miracle. And we're going to see why the New Testament repeatedly calls Jesus that prophet like an under Moses. You know, it's, it's, they also will say Jesus promised when he leave, he would send the comforter. John chapter 15, 14 through chapter 16, Gospel of John. Yeah. And they say Muhammad was the comforter. But Jesus clearly says the comforter is the Holy Spirit. So they, you can't get these kind of prophetic predictions. Uh, on the new, quite honestly, if you really look at it and put it in the range of the scripture, mm -hmm. what if they're predicted anywhere, it's when Jesus says, "When I leave, many false prophets will come." And if these men claim to be prophets, Joseph Smith and Muhammad, they would not be a prophet likened unto the prophets of the Bible, Isaiah, yeah. Jeremiah, John <clears throat> Baptist, etc., because they're preaching a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. So, uh, again, if there's any predictions or prophecies, they'd probably come under that Matthew 24 admonition about coming people that uh, are different. Now, this is important, and we don't have much time left, but they both will have what's called a sacred place. Uh, Muhammad, of course, when he goes to Mecca in Saudi Arabia, right. he will go into this. There's a cube there. Mm -hmm. It's a black yeah. building, a cube. 
And uh, many idols are in there, maybe right. 360 yeah. idols perhaps. It was wow. very idolatrous before Islam started. And he will cleanse it of all these. That place will become sacred. And that's where people around the world will pray to, if they can yeah. pray to it. We're exactly right. And some yeah. businessmen in London or New York, Muslim, will even have watches that will direct them of what direction the, the Mecca is at so they know properly how to pray wow. in what direction. Yeah. And one of the things they try to do in their lifetime is to make what's called the pilgrimage or the Hajj, to go there. And there's special ceremony. You go around, you walk around this uh, this building for yeah. X amount of time. But it's sacred. They have a sacred place. It's extremely sacred. So too, when Joseph Smith settled in Utah, they established what was called the, the Mormon Tabernacle. Now, you and I couldn't get in there as non-Mormons, but you can go in there. This is where they have baptisms for the dead. They have celestial, um, uh, if you get married, they have special ceremony for the, the husband, the, uh, the bride and the bridegroom. Yeah. But they also will have uh, priesthood, special anointings and ceremonies, and it's very secretive, but that is the center, okay? You have Mecca in Saudi mm -hmm. Arabia. You have the Mormon Tabernacle in Salt Lake City. Now, there's other tabernacles, Mormon tabernacles around the world, but that is the key one. Now, why this is so interesting, actually, actually, those listeners that are interested, if you want to go see one of the, the first Mormon temple is in Kirtland, Ohio. The actually still stands to this day. You can actually visit it as a historical kind of a yeah. building. But here's what Jesus says regarding us as Christians today. He says to the woman at Samaria in John chapter 4, you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Because the woman said to Jesus, well, where should we worship? On this mountain here in Samaria? Or should we go to Jerusalem or the temple? Right. He says, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. You see this? Yeah. We don't go to a place to be made more holy. We go to church or we go to a conference. Okay. But Jesus says in Matthew 18, where two or three of you are gathered yes. together in my name, I am in your midst. You see? So we don't have to make a special pilgrimage to be made more holy or to fulfill obligation. But many religions put it on their people, their followers, to make a pilgrimage, you know, like to Mecca, or the Hindus go to the river Ganges, or some go here, or some go there. Well, it's not wrong to go, let's say, I lead tours to Israel, but it's not a religious pilgrimage. You're not going to be made more holy. Right. You're going to be more yeah. aware of your faith. Yeah. But these are almost requirements for these believers. So it's very, very different when you look at these symbols. Absolutely. Then as we start wrapping up here, one of the things you'll see is dietary restrictions. Yeah. Um, in Islam, uh, pork, wine, you may have something on that, David. And, of course, in uh, Mormonism is alcoholic beverages, coffee, tea, all of these kind of cigarettes, of course, is prohibited. But it's the idea that they're putting an emphasis on what you eat and what you don't eat. Same thing in uh, Islam, pork pork products, these kind of things. At one time, uh, wine was uh, outlawed. Yeah. But we don't have those kind of commands, prohibitions, so to speak, in our faith. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, that which goes into the mouth does not defile a man, but that which comes out of the mouth defiles a man. In other words, what comes out, our speech, our hatred, our anger, our lust. And it says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8, food does not commend us to God. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, so I have a couple things sure. on the Muslims 
they're only supposed to eat foods that are considered halal, mm -hmm. uh, which which is defined as animals must be slaughtered by hand and no blood consumed. So pork is forbidden. Uh, requirement uh, for prayer and ritual butchery of meat. Uh, quick and swift slaughter at single point on the throat. Blood has to be completely drained. Yeah, like kosher. Uh, right. It's almost like a yeah. kosher death. That you, mm -hmm. And then Jesus said what? For food and drink, whatever goes into a... This is Mark seven nineteen. Whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Right. Thus he declared all foods clean. Yeah. So there you um, have so it. So that's, yeah. So these are great points of discussion if you were meeting a Muslim. Right. And you ask him why does he eat special things or doesn't he. That can create a conversation that can unfold uh, to you finding more about their faith and perhaps even introducing them a little bit to what the Christian faith says. Now, this will be an important point. Uh, when the when the Muhammad dies, there's a struggle for who's going to take over this faith, this yeah. new form of religion. It will divide into the Shiite, which present day is maybe 10%, mm -hmm. and the Sunni, uh, large, 85% or mm -hmm. more. You'll see this happen. Yeah. That's why you see problems in Iran and Iraq. Mm -hmm. One is predominantly Shiite, Iran, while the other is predominantly Sunni. There's a small sliver that's called Sufi. That's more the mystical kind of a yeah. Muslim. But it's interesting, there's this divide. Same thing happens at the death of Joseph Smith. There's a struggle. Brigham Young will take the large one, go out yeah. and find Utah. with He's about 95%. But the wife of Joseph Smith and the son will break off, and they'll start what's called the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ, about 5%. But it's interesting, they have that both of these religions yes. will have a break, a split. Yeah. There's other similarities. Time won't let us really get into it. But I'll, I'll go through these rather quickly uh, when we look at these as we close the show. Um, the differences we see, number one, I think this is very important, is an angelic visitation. That's crucial, how these religions both start. Number two, the use of the Bible. And then our Bible is viewed as being corrupted and theirs is the authority. Uh, polygamy. And both of these start with a heavy emphasis on a man having the ability to have multiple wives. A sacred place to go to, Mecca, Saudi Arabia, uh, Mormon Tabernacle in uh, Utah. Dietary prohibitions, which we just looked at, okay? Um, a different Jesus, that's very important. The Jesus of Islam is very different than the Jesus of the Bible. He's not viewed as mm -hmm. God come in the flesh. Same thing with Mormonism. Both have a mission mandate to go share their faith. Both will get into special clothing, the burqa, the hajib, and of course... Mormons will have what's called the sacred underwear. They wear and they have special yeah. sin. We couldn't get into that no, just because of no. time. Um, their afterlife is highly sensualized. You know, that's, they can still have some kind of uh, relationships with the opposite sex there. And, of course, the death, at the, the division of two, they break into two parts at the death of the founder. So as you go through this, yeah. you'll see there's a really interesting contrast. And it forces us as Christians to see, well, what is it we believe and how could we answer if they ask a reason of why we believe what we believe. It says in First uh, Peter chapter 3.15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to everybody that asks you a reason for the hope that is within right. you, but do it with respect and sensitivity to the other person. So yeah. that's it, David. I no, mean, that's, that's we're going to get chat. into some of these other shows in the future. Yeah, other there's a lot systems. of material. Uh, and we have a special guest hopefully next week. So thank you for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Uh, this is WNZN coming to you from Lorain, Ohio, 89.1 FM radio.
God bless you. And David, see you next week. Yeah, have a great weekend, everybody. God bless. Take care.